train smart uh, you know so there's a lot of those kind of fundamental rules for older climbers you know nutrition and sleep is massively important What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to the Power Company Podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. Obviously, you've already seen the title of this episode, so you know that today we're talking to a climbing coaching legend. And if you're here because you're also interested in coaching, I've recently released a coaching course that you should check out, Coaching for Mastery. It's the result of several years of figuring out where the research, theory, and my own experience into helping climbers better learn skills overlaps, and then synthesizing it all into practical application. You can find the link in your show notes to learn all about it. Okay. Today's guest is Eric Hurst. I've known Eric for many years, but I've known his work for far longer, and he deserves credit for being one of the earliest sources of good information for training for climbing that existed. If you're interested in training and coaching climbers and you haven't come across his work, where the hell have you been? Eric stopped by my house to discuss his own recent climbing and what he's found that's working for him in his late 50s. He's been crushing and where he hopes to go with his climbing in the coming years and what he thinks might get him there. Eric is so often giving out information through his books, website, and podcast, uh, information that helps us. And I think this is a rare look into his climbing and what he's learning from it. All right, let's get into it. I haven't told you a thing about what I want to talk about yet. Okay, yeah. Because Let's, we can just ad lib. Yeah, because I kind of just want to compare notes. Um, okay, you've been crushing lately. It's been it's been really fun to watch this like uh, uptick in your climbing and in the the things that you're doing and your excitement in getting mm -hmm. outside. And I'm sure some of that came with like the boys going off and doing their own yep. things. And, Correct. Um, but I'm also curious about what you've been doing to prepare. You know, I'm I'm a few years behind you, mm -hmm. so I get to learn from what you're doing that's working from you or for you for my years right. coming. So Yeah, it's an interesting topic. And, you know, our sport uh, is one where you can stay engaged and involved and performing at a high level very deep into your adult life, you know, into middle age or beyond. And, uh, you know, so my mission, probably like yours and a lot of folks, is to continue to be a climber yep. as long as possible. And, you know, injury is, you know, one of the things that can absolutely shut you down, you know, especially if it's a, a knee or a hip or a shoulder or something that, mm -hmm. you know, is really, uh, you know, uh, game-changing. Uh, you know, most of those injuries you can come back from when you're young, but sometimes when you're old, it doesn't happen. And uh, there's a reason there's only one football player in the NFL in their 40s, Tom Brady, because right. the rest just couldn't keep it together long enough. And that's kind of how climbing is. We see people drop by the wayside for various reasons, you know, uh, motivation lacks, their life changes, family, career. There's a lot of things that can get in the way. Yep. Uh, but on the other hand, you can always circle back to climbing if you have that off time. And so the the one thing you need is a healthy body. And uh, yep. so that's kind of my overriding goal is just to avoid injury and keep going. So what are you going to do while you're here in Lander <clears throat> if you're trying to avoid injury? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good question. You know, this is the 30th anniversary of my first visit to Lander back in uh, the summer of 1992. Uh, of course, Wild Iris was unknown to the world. Yeah. Only Todd and his few friends were climbing there. And I get a phone call. He's like, Eric, you got to come check out. Uh, you know, this limestone area in Lander. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we came out that summer, did a few first ascents out there, and we've been coming back most summers since. Uh, and, you know, I, I've commented to a few people uh, this year that the <clears throat> routes that I haven't done 
in all of those years are routes I'm kind of afraid to get on yeah. right now because they're like 513 BC kind mm-hmm. of climbs that are steep and small, you know, tweaky pockets and, yep. uh, you know, so I think twice before getting on those routes or I get on them and I hang a lot, you know, and I'm afraid to fully commit. And, you know, that's that's not a mindset you can climb hard. You have to fully commit, yep. you know, on powerful routes like that. And so I, I think like any aging athlete, you have to kind of pick your battles. And I know routes that, um, say like at 10 sleep where I was just at for uh, a few days, less overhanging, you can stand on your feet more. And that right there makes it a little more friendly mm-hmm. of a climbing area for an aging climber. Uh, but that said, I was prior to 10 sleep, I was at rifle, which is steep and burly, but the holds are generally bigger and more friendly. You're right. wrapping your hands and palming corners and mm-hmm. grabbing underclings. And it's not the, you know, the mono or two finger pocket pulling that you often uh, <clears throat> encounter on harder routes at the iris. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I, I try to um, be very self-aware of what's going on and listen to the signals from my body. Yeah. I think that's so important, you know, in the last like five or six years, I've been mostly bouldering and, you know, really with the motivation of like bucking the trend of, um, we can't get stronger. We can't get Mm -hmm. more powerful as we get older. And, and I've climbed harder and harder, but I'm definitely butting up against this Mm -hmm. ceiling where it's like, there are some things out there that are harder that I know I could do, but there's the specter of injury from either some like really intense heel hook or intense shoulder move or something like that that's that's holding me back from committing, just like mm-hmm. you said. And and I'm just not willing to, you know, destroy a year of climbing to try to do this one thing. I would rather take another step back if I have to and climb for longer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I respect that you're pushing in the bouldering because uh, that's something I have not done. Now, uh, I, I should put out there where I live in Pennsylvania, there's just not any great bouldering. There's these diabase yeah. boulders that are kind of cool and of local interest, but uh, it's not Bishop. It's not Waco. It's right. it's not even the bouldering, you know, that you would find in Wyoming or Colorado. So it's not an inspiring bouldering scene generally in in Eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, so there's not much to go after. But you know, I, I prefer rope climbing. I think that's where I can sure. still excel. However, I do believe uh, where I'm at, kind of Coach Hurst coaching himself. Uh, you know, I tell myself I do. I am being held back by my inability to do hard moves. Even mm-hmm. at rifle, a, a couple of routes I was on uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I have the fitness for the routes. I just can't do a couple of moves. Uh, right. I, I need a little more power. And, you know, just because I can hang on a 20 millimeter with one hand in the gym, it's not the same as applying that, you know, on the rock where your feet are on and you have to connect your hands and feet powerfully. And, you know, to a large degree, you need to boulder uh, to do that, or you have to system wall. I mean, that's why system walls are so effective. Mm -hmm. And so I guess Coach Hurst could take, um, maybe learn a thing or two from Coach Hampton uh, in terms of maybe going out there and trying to explore. You know, maybe this winter, I, I throw around in my head, you know, if I, you know, what if I did go to Waco for two weeks and, uh, test the waters and, you know, could I, uh, not only hopefully have some fun and send some boulders, but would that then feed back into my spring season being perhaps a little better? Cause right now, you know, I, I, I don't think I've ever been as fit in terms of climbing specific aerobic energy system. Yeah. Uh, you know, last, the beginning of December, kind of the end of my climbing season last year, um, in a matter of a few days, I sent Flower Power and Bohica, mm-hmm. which, you know, they're only only 513Bs, but you know them, you've climbed them. They're yep. very much classic resistance routes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, for me, that was evidence that at my age, I had pretty high aerobic fitness, but what would it take for me to then 
turn sending those routes into a couple of their neighbor routes. Right. Like like you like you did a, a number of years ago. Yeah. You know, to do Transworld, I need to do harder moves. Sure. Right? Yeah. I think I think that's a really important distinction, number one. Um, but I also want to back up and just say one of the interesting things I found when I had my shoulder surgery uh, at 40 was that when I was coming back, bouldering actually felt safer to me. Hmm. Uh, and this was a little counterintuitive. You know, I expected sport climbing to feel safer, especially in the red. Mm. Um, but what I found was that I have this gear that I go into sport climbing where I just like lunge for things and latch and and hold, you know, and that felt really dangerous for my shoulder multiple times. Whereas with bouldering, I'm close to the ground. I can just drop off if I get into yeah, a situation right. like that. And I already had this like, hang on for dear life mentality, sport climbing. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, in that respect, I love your idea of go to Waco for a little while and test the waters, mm -hmm. see how it is, because it's, <clears throat> it's so easy to just drop off if you want to. And there's so many things close to the ground. You don't have to do giant highballs, you know? Right. Yeah. I have no interest in jumping off from yeah. 10 or 20 feet up. No way. Because my, my back can't take that stuff. No. And, uh, uh, you know, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm apprehensive, but I, I kind of think I need to give it a try, uh, because, you know, if I am in the coming years going to take it up one more notch, you mm. know, in terms of sending a 14 a, uh, I think I need to be able to do harder moves. I mean, mm -hmm. you could tell me better. I mean, what, what's the hardest move in trans world? Probably V8. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's, uh, unless you find the, you know, the absolute perfect route for you, I think that's probably bare minimum for climbing 514. Right. At least what I've seen is being mm -hmm. able to do, um, a, a good variety of V8 mm -hmm. sort of climbing. Um, question for you. I know that you went through a period, um, maybe in your early fifties, I'm not sure about the timeline, um, where you weren't able to climb a lot, weren't able to train a lot. And since then you've been able to spin up your, your fitness, your climbing mm -hmm. fitness, really effectively. So, so that came from that, that older age already. So I'm curious to know just for the older athletes out there who are listening, um, what was your sort of starting point for where you're at now? Obviously you'd already had this skill built up, but yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I've been at this a long time. I started climbing in 1977. Right. And so you know, when you do something for 45 years, not every year is going to build on the previous. There's going to be, right. you know, an ebb and flow of your motivation, of your time available to train and climb, uh, and consequently your skill. Well, not so much your skill level, because, you know, climbing is something where we accumulate a skill set and it kind of stays with you. Yeah. But in terms of your your climbing fitness and what you can actually do in the rock, it's going to, there's going to be an ebb and flow. And so, you know, when we started our family, you know, uh, 21 years ago, uh, you know, that's a big one. And anybody who has, you know, kids, uh, you know, especially those first five or 10 years, it, it takes a lot of time and effort, especially if you're going to be engaged as a parent, as I was. Yep. And so we were definitely climbing a lot less, uh, you know, for a number of years, though, uh, you know, we have a big home training facility. I never got out of shape. Uh, and I guess that's the first thing I would tell people if they're going into one of those midlife phases where career or family is going to limit their climbing stay in shape yep. because, you know, just stopping climbing and kind of letting your, uh, you know, physical fitness, you know, drop significantly. Yeah. You can dig out of that hole, but it's tougher, you yeah. know, and stay it, in climbing shape. I think there's yeah. some, some semblance <clears throat> of climbing shape. Right. I, I mean, there's important. never been a year that I haven't, uh, climbed significantly, you know, at least 30 or 40 days, even in one of my, those down phases. Mm -hmm. And most of those years, you know, if we want to talk about harder climbing, uh, I, I climbed my first 513 in uh, 1987, 
Diamond so what, Life? Is that Diamond right? Life, yeah. It was our first yeah. descent at the New River Gorge. It was actually yep. the first 513 at the New River Gorge. Great, and great so route. it was my first 513 and the news first 513. And um, so that was 35 years ago. And I think pretty much every year since then, I've climbed 513, mm. you know, at least one. Mm -hmm. uh, some years, a lot more than one. And so, uh, but yeah, as the kids uh, got like into high school age and uh, we're, you know, beginning that transition into doing more of their stuff, not with my wife and I. And certainly the last couple of years since the kids went off to college and we're empty nesters, mm -hmm. you know, this is kind of my, um, uh, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, but it's kind of my chance to kind of, you know, put myself first when it comes to climbing performance. Because, you know, when you, when my wife and I would be out climbing with our kids the last 15 years, we put their goals and their um, sure. fun and joy uh, at the crags ahead of our desires. <clears throat> and so it's hard to work a project if you're out playing your, your kids and mm -hmm. trying to make their day the best it can be. And so well, we're now able to kind of return the focus onto us and travel to the areas that we're interested in. And, uh, uh, you know, I have, you know, a goal to climb hard well into my 60s. Uh, so. You know, that's that's the game plan right now. Yeah. And so I guess kind of the bottom line, uh, back to your question is, I, I you know, even when you um, aren't able to travel and uh, be as involved as a climber, just to, you know, not lose it physically, you yeah. know, get out, get way out of shape and, uh, you know, to, um, uh, you know, give yourself, uh, you know, the ability to you know, climb a couple days a month, let's say, mm -hmm. go for runs, walks, anything to stay active. Yeah. I, it doesn't take a whole lot to, to keep the, you know, getting unhealthy and unfit at bay. You, you bet. And I mean, someone can engage uh, a coach and with a hangboard, you know, be able to stay in decent shape and you know, go out for a few runs and, you know, keep their body comp close and it doesn't take much to, you know, stay in the game. Yeah. Uh, now, to climb your very best obviously takes a bigger commitment. Yeah. So you you recently retired, which I'm sure. Well, first off, congratulations. Mm -hmm. I'm sure yeah, that's been over two years. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that was you know a benefit to your climbing. But then you've also got this new business that seems to be booming. So yep. has that evened things out, or is it <laughs> is it are you working more now that it's yeah. your own business? How's that going? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what it turns into. But and, and you know how that is. You yeah. Know, when you have a growing business, it, it, you you uh, always are going to underestimate what it takes. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, I had a great career uh, at a university in Pennsylvania, Millersville University. Thirty-two years I put in. It was a wonderful job for me because it gave me the security, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of raising a family. And, uh, you know, it was essentially a nine month a year job. So summers I had free to travel and to do my climbing stuff. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I'm kind of always been a workaholic, kind of the classic type A who's yep. doing, you know, five things at once, mm -hmm. uh, and trying to do the best I can in, in each area. So it, what it did is, you know, stepping away from the university, which actually happened to coincide with COVID and the university moving online, which is something that I wasn't happy about or didn't, you know, that's not what I, you know. Right, uh, right. Not what you with, signed up for originally. Yeah, yeah working with students was what I signed up for. So yeah. no, none of the professors liked <clears throat> trying to take what's supposed to be an in-person instruction and, and, and try to make it happen online. So it, that was pure coincidence uh, that it played out that way. But um, yeah, so it kind of gave me uh, some freedom uh, where I could be completely self-directed in terms of how I invest the hours and minutes of my life. But then again, I had this business, which I had launched two years prior to retiring, uh, Fizzy Vantage Nutrition. And uh, 
you know, it started off as a tiny business. It was just my wife and I. Uh, and I worked with a food scientist. We developed our first two products. You know, we kind of got them tried and tested and proven with some pro climbers. And we launched back in, in uh, the beginning of 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, and then COVID hit. And, uh, you know, um, you know, then it was, everybody was just kind of scrambling. And, yep. uh, but the long story short is the business took off. And so right when I retired, it, I was at the point where I needed to fully commit to this business. And since it's grown exponentially the last two years, and now we're four years in and, uh, you know, we're uh, a vibrant growing business with 50 pro climbers in the U.S. using our products thousands and thousands of weekend warriors and recreational mm -hmm. climbers. And we just launched in Europe and have, you know, European Great. climbers uh, getting the fizzy vantage as well. So uh, it's um, growing to the point that I'm a little overwhelmed, to be honest, but that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. I mean, congrats on the business and the growth of it. Something I've found with, with my business, and maybe partially because it's in the climbing space like yours is, is that even though it's harder work and it's more work and it can mean, you know, work in the middle of the night or, you know, work on weekends or whatever, uh, it gives me more motivation to, to climb, whether it's, whether it's because I'm interacting with other people who are psyched all the time to climb or I'm motivated to uh, be an example, be a mentor for other people in the space, whatever it is. I get a lot out of it mm -hmm. in terms of motivation. And I thought I was really motivated when I was a weekend warrior. Uh, and I was, but I think it only grew when this became my full-time job. How, what's been your yeah. experience there? No, I, I, I agree with that. And I think, uh, you know, what you're expressing is uh, common uh, amongst um, kind of more veteran athletes uh, who, uh, are recognized in the community and a, it's it's hard for you or me to perceive how many people we touch through what we do you know yeah. through the podcasting for instance yep. um and through the training programs and you know just through personal contact at the crags uh <clears throat> for every one person who sends an email to you and says, Hey, you know, thanks. I really, you know, this is game changing for me. You know, there's probably a hundred other people out there that, that feel the same way. And so that's pretty powerful, uh, endorsement of what people like you and I do, but also, um, <clears throat> I, I don't know. I, 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 I think that, um, I'm a believer that climbing is such a life enriching life changing activity that you know, it, it's like the ultimate to have somebody then tell you that you made their experience even better mm -hmm. or made their journey even better. And, uh, you know, last fall I was in uh, Germany climbing with my son at the Frankenjura. And on a couple of occasions, you know, I walked into a crag and people recognized me. So mm -hmm. here I am halfway around the world and, oh my gosh, you know, Eric Hurst. And, you know, then they, you know, compliment me on the book or the podcasts and and it's like wow that is that is so gratifying it yeah. makes me feel so good i mean you don't you know we don't get rich in the climbing business uh not monetarily right uh but you know certainly uh, that type of feedback is is you know you can't put a price on it that's yeah. you know life-changing yeah it's, it's huge it's one of the things that i never really expected when i was first dipping my toes into all of this was that i would get as much joy uh, from <clears throat> watching other people succeed uh, who I had helped as I do from my own mm -hmm. successes. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'd love to get those emails and we'd love to talk with people who are coming through town and show them the gym. And um, yeah, that stuff is so gratifying and means so much and, and keeps me out there trying hard mm. too. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and I guess kind of as you, as we age uh, and stay active at the crags, uh, we become kind of um, evidence for other people. Like, you know, I run into, like at Rifle, I'm working a 513A with, you know, a couple of guys that are half my age. Mm -hmm. 
and you're like evidence to them that, yep. you know, it's a long game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so many people feel like, oh, I need to reach this goal this summer or this season. And that's that's great to have that sense of urgency about your project. But I think climbers need to realize the, you know, the climbing journey can be a really long one. Yeah. And so you don't have to, you know, put all this pressure on yourself that it has to happen this week or this season or this month, because there's next season, you know, for most people, there's going to be many more seasons to come. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so. This is, this is something I talk with clients about a lot, um, who are putting a lot of pressure on themselves and, and anxiety is building up mm-hmm. about what if I don't, um, However, as as I'm getting older, we're all getting older, are you starting to feel any of those like pressures of I have to get these things done sooner than later? And I'm asking because those things have certainly popped in my mind now mm-hmm. and then. And, and I have to have that discussion with myself that, yes, this is a long game, but at some point, those, those big goals are off the table. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely do think about that. So while I try to communicate to that climber that's half my age that they have a long uh, yeah. timeline uh, to to reach their goals and to continue to improve and to climb harder, uh, you know, the the fact is, and you know, it is a fact. I'm not going to climb five fourteen at age seventy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not likely to happen. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sure there's a guy somewhere in Spain that's done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, but I, I don't there must know, be. But I don't know any in the U.S. I, I mean, Chuck Odette, uh, 514A, and he's 65. So, I mean, there's uh, some evidence there for me that I have maybe seven years. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I do feel a little bit of, of pressure. And so it does make me kind of choose my uh, travel and my projects uh, and, you know, for instance, you know, kind of the prime climbing season across much of the country is the autumn season, October, November. I'm going to spend it all on the red. I'm yeah. not going to go anywhere else. Uh, and, uh, you know, I kind of, um, I mean, I'm so sold on the fact that for, for me at my age where I'm at, uh, to break the next grade, I think the red's one of the best places for me to do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> because it's more resistance climbing, less crux climbing. Um, and there's other places. Certainly there'd be, you know, Spain and, you know, some other, op, op, you know, uh, locations as well. But the, the red is, uh, is one that I love and enjoy. And uh, so to kind of stack the deck in my favor, I'm building a cabin there. Yep. So cause then I have no excuses. Like if I actually live there, I can pick the days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the plan is uh, for the next few falls, at least, to spend those two months at the red and, you know, hopefully have lots of cool, dry days and, yeah. uh, you know, be able to tick some, some routes. Uh, so I we'll think see. that's, I mean, that's super smart. And I think everybody can, to some degree, take that lesson of um, uh, making, you know, trending your lifestyle toward your goals, whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you have the the privilege like you and I have of being able to be in a location for a long time that's that's not your primary home that's a great way to do it um any way you can to lean your lifestyle in that direction i think is really valuable yeah and i'll tell you i think you know something that's important to point out here um you know, I think all climbers, if you're at it long enough, you kind of recognize when you go to an area, you know, what the low-hanging fruit is and mm-hmm. what routes play to your strengths. And, you know, if you want to feel good and send something, you know, a higher grade, you kind of pick things that cater to your strengths and you kind of shy away from things that might, you know, reveal your weaknesses. Uh, <clears throat> and and more and more as, as, as you get older, you have to kind of play that game. Uh, on the other hand, I think it's a mistake for younger climbers to do that a lot. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I, 
tell my sons frequently now they're mostly self-directed and um you know coach themselves but uh, i give them input and hopefully they listen to some of it still even though they're 19 <laughs> and 21 and uh you know and i i frequently tell them you know you guys need to do more and i go down a tick list of things you need to do more on-site climbing you need to mm-hmm. you know mix it up do you do, do more trad climbing and uh you know uh uh because they're at that age where uh they can still improve a lot, you know, for the next 10 or 20 years, but they have to, you know, invest some time into training up those weak areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if they're always going out, you know, picking things that are kind of in their wheelhouse, uh, you know, the quote, low hanging fruit, so to speak, you know, that cater to their strength. Uh, again, that it's going to help them send their next 9A or whatnot, but <clears throat> it might not be what's going to help them get to the next grade. You know, right, you have right. to you know spend some time doing things that kind of rough you up a little bit. Yeah. And so I'm like, you need to go to rifle and get roughed up a little bit, yeah. uh, or you need to you know um, you know go here or there and do some on-site climbing um, and dial it back. And uh, yep. you know, but they're. Um, you know they're 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 young and they're enamored with the idea of trying to climb as hard as they can, and so of course they invest most of their time on you know steep, powerful sure. sport climbing, which is kind of what you know. Yeah, they're, they're and, good and they've and got a lot of time it. left, so you know they'll they'll listen to you someday, even if they don't when they're nineteen yeah. and twenty one. Yeah. yeah. Well, you <laughs> should, what you should do is you should sit sit them down and put a mic on them, Chris, and then yeah. uh, you know you maybe get the truth out of them. And so I'll I'll, I'll definitely <laughs> try to do that. That would be a lot of fun. Um, I was just talking to somebody yesterday that I need the opposite advice. I need to stop trying to constantly work on my weaknesses and try things that are more challenging for me and lean into my strengths a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be really smart for me to do. And I, I just love so much leaning into the, the things that shouldn't be as hard for me as they are, or at least I think they shouldn't be as hard as they are. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite things in the world. So yeah. I need to, this coming season, that's what I'm going to do. Try to yeah. lean into my strengths a little more. Yeah. And there's definitely, there's value in both, in both, yeah, uh, yeah. in both approaches. And uh, I guess, you know, Again, it kind of depends where you're at in your climbing journey, uh, where your mindset is at. And, you know, my mindset is, you know, there is kind of a sense of urgency here. You know, I'm 58 and a half and, you know, so the window is shrinking uh, for my opportunity to take it up another notch or two. If that's going to happen, it's got to happen soon. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, rule number one, don't get injured. Rule number two, train smart. You know, you know, minimum effective dose type training. Yep. Uh, no overtraining. You know, because recovery mm-hmm. takes so long. Yep. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of those kind of fundamental rules for older climbers. You know, nutrition and sleep is massively important. So big. With every year that you that passes by, you know, when you're 20 years old, you can get away with a lot of nutrition. You know, junk food, uh, drinking. You know, late nights. I mean, yep. you're a little more. Not that I endorse that, you know, for young athletes, you know, if you want to be serious, you got to put it all together, but it's a fact you can get away with a lot when you're Mm -hmm. young. And, uh, you know, as you age every decade, your body is slowing down and, you know, the way you used to eat doesn't work anymore. And, you know, honestly, the, the genesis of fizzy vantage, uh, was around, uh, 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 2014, let's say, the year that I turned 50. And I'm like, I need to kind of reinvent myself a little bit, my training. I need to, you know, uh, find some nutritional interventions, things that are going to help me as I age to recover faster. And, uh, you know, I was seeing you know, I was uh, becoming hypothyroid. I mean, I had not any major illnesses, but I had some issues, uh, you know, uh, some shoulder issues, you know, wear and tear of climbing for 40 years. And I, I'm like, I need to really, you know, investigate what is going to keep me in the game for another 10 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. And this is back when I was 50. And uh, and so I started running into, you know, reading a lot of research on, you know, cutting edge topics, you know, how to support collagen synthesis in your body and, you know, how to maintain healthy tendons and joints and, you know, how to recover faster and support hormone levels, you know, all these things that change as you age. And that led me down this path of, uh, you know, finding 
meaningful uh, science, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, recovery aids and, you know, nutritional interventions. And that led me to developing these first few products and eventually Fizzy Vantage launching in 2019. So uh, even though the company's only been around about four years, the genesis was, uh, you know, eight years ago. And, uh, you know, it started off as a kind of a, uh, you know, personal mission just to find things that would help me. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's that, how a lot of the best things start is yeah. I need this thing. I'm going to figure yeah. out how to get this thing. And yeah. oh, there must be other people out there who want this thing yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, and so I, I developed the product the first couple of products myself. They were in prototype for a couple of years. I used them and then my sons started using them. And then I started sending them out to pro climbers like Matt Foltz and he was using it and went on a tear, uh, you know, and uh, then I'm like, okay, you know, this stuff works. I ought to like, you know, brand it and market it and make it available to all climbers and hence Fizzy Vantage was born. Yeah, smart and and good timing for your career yeah, yeah, that was all for your climbing. I mean, yeah. it kind of makes me wonder if, you know, there is kind of a, you know, uh, you know, it's just those things in life that, uh, you know, happen seemingly coincidentally, but, you know, they kind mm-hmm. of line up, kind of a synchronicity to things. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I think, think it's taking advantage of opportunities that yeah. present themselves, you know, and. Yeah. And here's the other thing, Chris, you know, I, I had spent the previous 30 years uh, writing about training for climbing, you know, yeah. hundreds of articles and all these books and foreign translations. And so I had really um, uh, proven myself in the community as a, a knowledgeable person, and I was involved in the research community. And so it, it gave me this perspective, uh, you know, because, you know, the the whole sports nutrition industry is um, viewed not so well by a lot of people because there is a lot of crap products out there. There's, you know, a lot of fraudulent, um, questionable, let's say products and claims for sure. Uh, and so it, I, I went into it knowing I needed to have science on my side if I was going to, you know, launch a line of products. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, then using, the reputation that I had built over all of those years in, in the climbing industry, to launch the product. And so it, it, um, none of it was planned out. It it just kind of evolved, you know, organically. But as you said, that's often how the best things come to be. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I'm curious with, now that you have, you know, you can essentially, if you want to call it this, be a full-time climber if you want to. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you're still working, you know, but you can travel to where you want to be and climb. How does your training look now that you can be out there full time? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's actually something that I can't completely answer because I'm still kind of figuring that out, Chris. Um, I think we all are. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Because, you know, it's been since kind of this next phase of my life when I retired from the university job uh, two years ago uh, and kind of, uh, you know, have been able to focus entirely on fizzy vantage nutrition and on my climbing. And, you know, again, mentioning that the kids are kind of out of, out of the house and on their own, mm-hmm. you know, college age. <clears throat> um, so, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm a, a compulsive planner. So I, I still maintain a paper calendar or, or you know, a wall calendar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to kind of see that laid out in front of me. It's really hard for me to use a, like a phone calendar or something. And uh, so I, I think six to 12 months in advance, you know, like, you know, I, right now, October, November is blocked out, Red River Gorge. You want to see me? Come to the Red. That's where I'm going to be. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then I knew I wanted to be in Wyoming for July because that's what we do most years. We spend you know July in Wyoming. There's a you know few places I'd rather be this time of year, and uh, you know. And then I kind of fill in the blocks like that. And uh, okay, so I'm going to get home, and I'm going to have August is going to be kind of a a training block that probably extends into the first part of September. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as the cold fronts start coming through, and the you know 
days get shorter and the air more crisp, I'll segue outside and, you know, um, get ready for that October, November trip. And, you know, and then maybe back home in December, uh, you know, another training block before perhaps January, you know, we talked about Waco or if not Waco, maybe, you know, Red Rocks, Las Vegas area. Yeah. You know, so I try to think out six or 12 months and, uh, plan out, uh, you know, a schedule that allows me to always circle back to training every eight to 12 weeks, because, mm-hmm. you know, even if I'm climbing a fair amount, say three or four days a week, I really do notice my, my strength wanes quickly sure. when I'm on a trip. Yeah. Me I, I too. maintain that fitness well, but my strength wanes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's startling because I get home from a trip and I, I test myself. And I'm like way down on like a lot of different metrics. Yeah. <clears throat> the good news is they come back quick. You know, mm-hmm. as as most athletes discover, you know that that you you can regain those metrics pretty quickly if they're not lost for a long time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of you know rinse and repeat. You know, through that cycle, and you know all the while I am working a lot. Uh, you know, it's not like if I am spending you know, July in Wyoming that I'm just on vacation for 30 days. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm working every other day, you know, yeah. putting in a full day. Like a lot of people that are on the road. I mean, since COVID, I think probably half the people I run into at the crags, like for up sure. at 10 Sleep or down in St. George this spring, more climbers than not were people that were, you know, working remotely out of an Airbnb or out of a van. I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of the new normal. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, perhaps there's a lot of people listening uh, to this that are shaking their head. You know, they're able to embrace that lifestyle as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it does make it tougher to train for sure because you are kind of mobile and you're traveling. But um, I think it's, you know, for some people, a very rewarding way to do things because you are able to satisfy uh, your need for climbing and, you know, that passion that we have, but also pay the bills and yeah. also, you know, contribute to society, you know, in a more meaningful way through their job or or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like you that know. you build your calendar out thinking about the trips you want to do outside first. Um, I mean, I think that's ideal for me. And I think it's a great way to keep your motivation up and, you know, to have these goals in the future that you're training for. Um, I think that's really important. Do you think, because there are so many people who are just, you know, working out of an Airbnb in a, in a climbing destination, um, is the two month trip or two month in a, in an area, is that a time when we should consider uh, keeping some of those strengths up. Maybe we are hangboarding every third day or something. Um, and does that differ when you're 25 versus when you're 50? Yeah, uh, it definitely differs uh, according to your age. Uh, and, you know, to be honest, with the exception of the red, uh, there's nowhere that I would spend two months straight. Uh, most climbing areas, honestly, if I'm there for three weeks, I kind of get a little tired of yeah. just but a lot the, of folks do the, you know. the climbing the scene and stuff and so you know i i tend to want to move on uh, now the red will be a little different because having a cabin there it'll be a new uh, approach for me kind of um and to answer your question you know at the cabin of course i'm going to have a hangboard and a campus board and a small wall and so not only can I get the perfect warm up before heading to the crag, yep. which at older age is very, very important. One you of know, my favorite tactics. Yeah, yeah. Oh, if if yeah, yeah. I'm sure here in Lander, it's huge. You know, mm-hmm. to be able to warm up at home and then just go right to your project. Yeah. Uh, and at older age, you know, got to make every go count. You know, if you waste a couple goes because you're not properly warmed up, you know, well that's the, that's the day. You know, mm-hmm. if you're an older climber, so. Yeah, so the red, um, I'll have the tools to not only both warm up, but uh, do, um, you know, maybe a once weekly brief recruitment session just to get fully turned on. Because if you're route climbing and standing on your feet, you're it's just not the same as doing, you know, a limit bouldering session yeah. or or even doing a hangboard routine. And so, yeah. I, I I'm not a fan of people doing intensive training as part of their road trip, uh, but done 
the right way, I, I think it can be helpful. And, you know, uh, even— I think it becomes especially <clears throat> important in areas like the red, where it's a very resistant mm-hmm. style and you're doing very little really, really hard climbing or grabbing really small holds or anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, for sure. And, um, yes, that's, that's something that will be new for me, you know, mm-hmm. uh, cause up until this point, I've always visited the red for a few days or at most a couple of weeks, uh, and, you know, then returned home. And so you know, exciting. So, so this time I can kind of call the red my home. And, you know, it's funny, Chris, you know, cause as you know, I was, a uh, one of the early developers at the New River Gorge mm-hmm. in the 1980s and 90s and did, you know, a couple hundred first ascents there. Uh, it's shocking that I actually am going to have a cabin at the red and not at the new. <laughs> but, uh, and I, I love the new. I have so much sweat equity at the new. But the the climbs there are, uh, are I don't want to say harder because, you know, the routes at the red are hard, but the routes of the new are hard in a different way. You yeah. have to do individual hard moves. Definitely a more bouldery style. Yeah, more bold. It's like bouldering on a rope sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and whereas the red, though it may have a few routes that are like that, is more you know more of a resistance area, and you know is is a better fit for uh, a climber my age. And so uh, I will always return to the new for a couple of days of climbing each year because I love the area. Uh, uh, it's one of my favorite in the world. But again, getting back to the idea that I have this limited timeline and if I'm going to put myself in a situation to win on the higher grade routes, then I, I need to you know cater to my strengths, which is yeah. kind of endurance climbing. Yeah, I love it. Can, <clears throat> you, can you point to any specific things and totally okay to say no, but I'm just curious if there are any things you've done over the last four to five years, um, maybe even more specifically these last couple of years that you point to making you successful at, at climbing that you've been, you've been climbing at a high level. So, well, yeah, I mean, you know, training wise, honestly, I'm doing pretty much the same stuff now that I was doing five or 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's always being tweaked, uh, to be right for where I'm at. Uh, you know, physically, but my program is largely unchanged the last decade. Uh, the one big difference is my approach to climbing at the crags and specifically uh, how long I'll put in to working a route. And that uh, that change coincides with my re- retirement from my sure. university job. Having more time. Where, yeah, where... Uh, you know, prior to that with, um, you know, a job nine months of the year, kind of a standard nine to five kind of job and a family, uh, and you know, all, all the other things that, you know, I'm very, I'm very engaged in a a lot of activities. I'm a man of many passions. Uh, and you know, so it was just a, a very busy time of my life from like age, you know, 30 to age, you know, 55. Uh, and, when I would go climbing, I would want to send routes, you know? So it, whether it was a two day trip to the new or a five day trip to the red or a three week trip to Wyoming or, or whatnot, I wanted to do routes I could send, you know, well, that means you're obviously shooting below your absolute limit. Yeah. And uh, I'm picking routes that I can either on site or do in a few goes, uh, and camping under a route for days and days, no way. I'm not going to do that if I have such limited time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's a mistake a lot of climbers make because they're, they're, they're seeking that higher grade, uh, which I respect, but they, they, they have such an urgency that they, you know, invest so much time and maybe they send, maybe they don't, but there's a lot of, I see a lot of anxiety in people, you know, a lot yeah. of frustration yeah. and, and even, lost love of climbing sometimes because they get so stressed over the proj and it's like take a break dial it back you know do some routes you can set i mean second going is a really gratifying way to climb yeah because you have no pressure on the first go you're kind of going up there sussing it out mm-hmm. you know just being a scientist about figuring out the route what is the beta yep and then trying to second go it you know and if you don't second go you third go it and 
that's what I did for years. And I found it was challenging, but I would send frequently enough that it was gratifying. You know, there's nothing worse than, you know, going on a long trip somewhere and coming home like with nothing. And I see so many climbers do that. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of sad. Mm -hmm. Like I see climbers come into the red for a week and they camp out under a route that's, you know, over their head or at their extreme limit. And they, they don't send it and they go home and I'm like, I think to myself, what a shame. They were just at one of the world's best climbing areas and they could have dialed it back two letter grades and sent some routes that are world-class mm-hmm. and had a ball, but instead they suffered on, you know, something that was at their extreme limit. And, you know, everybody's got to find the recipe for what works for them. And, you know, for me, it wasn't to put myself into this, you know, mode of failing most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, things are a little different. I have more time on my hands. At least I don't have to be at the university nine months of the year uh, so I can travel a little more and dedicate a little more time. And so to, to finally circle back to answering your question, uh, you know, the, the change that I've made the last couple of years is to actually work on routes longer. And so, uh, you know, I first set out to climb a 13C, which I did, you know, uh, two seasons ago, uh, a route called Angry Birds, which I'm sure mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, it's not a pushover by any stretch. Uh, it's actually kind of my anti-style because it has two boulder problem cruxes on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and, and it requires a fair amount of uh, endurance as well. Uh, and I did it in four, maybe five days, you know, so I kind of surprised myself. Wow. I, I can do that if I just put a couple of days into something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, so, you know, taking it up a notch, you know, what if, what if I put 10 days into a route this fall, you know, which probably it'll take for me to, you know, to do, I don't know, ultra perm or, you know, something like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. We'll see that that story is yet to be written, but uh, the one change uh, to answer your question is to actually put a little more time into, um, you know, working routes uh, when I find the right route. Uh, That being said, you know, I was just in in rifle and 10 sleep and I didn't spend more than really a day on anything because Mm -hmm. I kind of, I had a week, I wanted to send some routes in a week. So I dialed things back and, you know, kind of climbed, you know, closer to my second go limit, let's say. Yep. I I think it's, I think it's important when you go on a trip to, to know what you want out of it. And, you know, if you want to send routes, then working at your absolute limit isn't the way to go. Um, Mm. If it, if you just want to go and climb on one route and that's what makes you happy, great. I think you should, you know, and I would do that like maybe one out of every five or six trips that I would go on when I was a weekend warrior and I would keep, otherwise I would keep my projects at home in a, in a place where I was going regularly, you know. And that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Your home area. For me, that worked. Your home area where you can have, you know, quick access and frequent visits to, you know, if you're going to project something at your limit, maybe that's where it should be. And then when you travel, like, you know, if you're going to go to Europe for a few weeks, why just park yourself under one route? Why not Mm -hmm. check out some amazing areas that you might not get back to, you know, who knows? And so that's a message I've tried to share with all the climbers I work with and certainly with my sons, you know, uh, that, uh, you know, there's value, uh, in both and, um, you know, both approaches, uh, I, I guess you need to, you know, you need to be able to, you know, alternate perhaps, I guess is the word between the two approaches. Yeah. You know, I agree. like you, you do have to sometimes stretch your limits and that mm-hmm. means picking out something that you're going to fail on a lot. Yeah. You know, that was one of the things that, you know, Todd Skinner was a big proponent of is, you know, you got to set the bar high and, you know, you know, kick it to darkness till it bleeds daylight. You know? Yeah. You don't and, really uh, know where your limits are until you. Know, you- but try if to that's push into them. all you do, then right. you know, then it becomes a suffer fest. Did and, you ever have those kinds of projects that took longer than your usual um, when you were climbing in the new a lot way back in the day, like around Diamond Lifetime? Did you have big projects then? I, you know, I was so into just uh, route development. You know, we were there was mm. about a half a dozen of us. You know. Uh, Mike Arts, Eddie Bagoon, Doug Reed, Porter Gerard, myself, Rick Thompson, Kenny Parker, a few others. Uh, and it was kind of like there was a few years where you would walk out to the crags and there'd be multiple drills going. It was sure. kind of this golden age of development that lasted five seasons. So to find one, you know, at 
or beyond the limit route and park under it, it's like, wow, I'll, I'll miss out on putting up all these mm-hmm. great routes. So I yeah. think a lot of us kind of, we were all picking routes that were within our capabilities. Sure. Uh, and so Diamond Life was at my limit, you know, but it was, you know, I had climbed a lot of 512Ds at many areas around the country. So I was ready for that 513A breakthrough back in 1987. Right. And so I just happened to find the right piece of stone. And I think it, it might've been a three-day type commitment, you know, mm-hmm. so it wasn't that huge of a commitment. And, you know, honestly, back then I didn't work on routes more than a couple of days, mm-hmm. you know, because I wanted to move on to the next route. And sure. uh, so it was kind of, you know, we were all out there, you know, searching for Easter eggs, you know, the, you know, who's going to put up the, the great red over here or the big roof there. And, uh, you know, it was a really, uh, fun period. Uh, but n- none of us pushed the boundaries all that far, uh, in, uh, 1989. T- so two years after diamond life, I think the hardest route at that time was 13 B. I think Doug Reed and I had both put up 13 Bs at the new, and then Scott Franklin shows up mm, and puts up mango, mango tango, tango. Yeah. which he graded 13D, and it's now widely accepted as solid 14A. And so he just came in and like just in our face showed us that we weren't climbing that hard. Uh, And some of that was self-imposed because, again, we were just on this, you know, we were involved in this golden age of route development, Mm -hmm. and uh, none of us picked out a line and worked on it for a long time. But also Scott was just so much better and stronger than us. I mean, he was on a different level. Yeah, absolutely. Outlier for sure. Yeah. Um, so now that you are, you know, leaning into this multiple day project, is Angry first off, is Angry Birds the the longest project at this point? No, I after doing Angry Birds, uh my next route that I started working on was uh, Silky Smooth, oh, yeah. which I'm sure Great you're one. familiar with. Yeah. yeah. And so I put in eight days on that, almost sent, and then I got a little bit of a pulley tweak. Mm. And if you remember that route, it's basically a crimp ladder. It's just crimp, 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 crimp. It's like a steeper version of the undertow. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, you're on first pad for like 90 feet for the most part. There's one semi-rest at like a little over halfway. Which I read pointed to multiple times, you know, so all the har- the hardest climbing is behind you at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just have to survive, you know, a 12B crimp fest to the anchors. And I just couldn't get enough back at the rest to make it through that last, you know, run to the anchors. So it was a little bit of a fitness test. It was kind of a little bit of a mystery why I couldn't send it. Uh, I was kind of eight days in and then, you know, eight days, maybe over two weeks, and then I started to feel a little bit classic, you know, tenderness on the A2 pulley. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, be smart. You know, this project's not going away, you know. And so, yeah. so it got kicked to this season. So hopefully this fall, that'll be the first thing I go to. Yeah, I think, I think you know, tactics like that multiple day project tactics are one of those um, important things that if you were to stick to the approach constantly of only second go, third go sending, you, you miss out on a little bit. You know, I think that's why I like the, the having a project at home once in a while on a trip, try something hard because then you're sort of stress testing your tactics and you, you get a bigger, just like climbing skills, you get a bigger bag of tactics that you can pull from um, when you encounter mm-hmm. a situation where it's a bit of a mystery. It's still going to be a bit of a mystery sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just how climbing is. You, you think you should send and you're falling at the same move over and over, you know. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny. Um, I, I felt so close to sending Silky Smooth, but yet it was like so far. It, it's kind of one of those mysteries. Yep. And I, yep. I got, I mean, I was being really scientific about it. I was shooting video of every attempt and I was breaking down the route and the movement and how I could be a little more efficient. And, you know, and I, I think after all of that, I have concluded it's kind of, I need to figure out how to rest better. Um, I don't know if you remember the rest hold there, but it's mm-hmm. like a, it's a tight squeeze. You can't really get two hands into it. You can get like one and a half hand mm-hmm. of your, you know, you can get like six fingers. So how are you, how are you doing that? If you're getting six fingers in, right. I think people with really small hands, you know, kids and, and maybe some ladies can get two full hands there. And then it's kind of a different game, but for an adult male hands or female hands, maybe they're too big. And for me, it's about six fingers. 
And so you're on a 30 degree overhanging wall with six fingers. How, how do you rest effectively there? Mm. Uh, you know, what is your, you know, how are you, I'm trying to piano my fingers in and out and get, you know, both hands to recover and, you know, there's nothing to knee on and, uh, you know, there's, you can't hand jam and like I'm going to all the, all the tricks in the book, you know, trying to think, how can I make this rest better? Uh, and I haven't really figured it out. So, mm. uh, I think I just need a little more fitness and, um, is that one of the goals yeah. for this trip to the red? What's that? Silky smooth. Yeah. That'll be the first thing I go back to. I mean, the awesome. other thing that's tricky about it is, uh, it gets really strong sun. Yeah. Uh, it gets, it gets quite warm there. So even on a cool day, it can be almost too hot. And the, the problem I had is in the sun, um, your feet are always stepping up into the shadow of your body. Mm -hmm. So your eyes are kind of blown out by the brightness of the wall, but then you can't see your feet. And there's, you know, yep. it's all, it's all small, you know, it's very technical, you know, foot placements. Uh, you know, you just aren't dropping them on the jugs, you know, like you are maybe on undertow wall or on madness cave, you know, you're really edging on little features that you need to see and align your foot mm -hmm. properly. And so there's a visual issue when there's sun on it, but then, you know, uh, it can also, if it's in the shade, be quite cold back there. And so, yeah, I, I was having issues with the conditions as well, getting just, you know, the right time to be on the route. So again, I guess if I'm living locally there for, a month or two, hopefully I can pick the the days and times to to get out there and hopefully take care of business. Yeah, <clears throat> you know. So my hope would be that I could take care of that um, early in my fall visit and then start working on something else. Awesome. Know, Are you going to start looking for the big project? Or? Well, I I think I need a stepping stone. So I and you know we talked about my need to do harder moves and bolder. So I think ultraper might be the route because mm. you have some great one. Yeah, yeah. You have some good resistance climbing up to a boulder. Yep. You know, and then resistance climbing again to the anchor. And I I got on it a couple of times when my my sons um, did Southern Smoke a few years ago, and so they kind of share uh, mm -hmm. some of the top climbing. And so at that time I thought, what the heck, I'll get on and feel it up. And uh, so, um, I mean, I can climb the route except for basically two moves. I, I need to figure out how to do that two-move boulder. Cool. And so... Um, I mean, I'm, for for most people I know, half of the crux of, of Ultra Perm is just figuring out your beta because there's so many options yeah. and so many holds and body positions you could cycle through to try a, a section. So... If you've done all but two of them, I think you're you're in good position. Yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm psyched to see how your October, November goes out there. And uh, I've been really motivated by watching you send things lately and crush things. And it, it's really good to mm -hmm. see knowing that, you know, that's possible for me coming up. hundred percent, you know, and I mean, um, I, I guess the most important thing is we have to believe, you know, mm -hmm. that it can still totally. happen because, yep. you know, the, the thing, the one thing that absolutely closes the door, even more than injury is, you know, if you have disbelief in a goal or disbelief in something. And so, uh, you know, I can believe in silky smooth and I can I think I can believe in ultra perm. And, you know, I've had some people say, well, what about 14A? You know, because I've climbed all these years and I've never projected a 14A. Uh, and, you know, and I can't say 100% believe in it because, um, I mean, I have that desire, but um, I guess I, I, I'm also enough of a coach to know I need to build that foundation. Mm -hmm. And, well, I guess I could jump from Angry Birds to sending a 14A. I think that's probably unlikely. I think it's more likely I need to, you know, you know, have a few more, uh, you know, a few there's, more bricks in place there. Yeah, there's plenty of those stepping stones out there. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. N not not in Wild Iris though. Not, <laughs> it's definitely harder in Wild Iris. I'm I'm feeling like I did this whole thing yeah. backwards. I should yeah. be going back to the red right about yeah. now yeah. instead of climbing out here. Yeah. So. Although I think there's some people, you know, certainly the strong young boulders, you know, who might think, you know, Wild Iris grades are easier than Red River Gorge yeah, grades. Yeah, absolutely. You know, cuz some people yeah. get on the red routes and think they're so hard. But again, it all comes back to what your strengths and weaknesses are. Yeah, and, uh, totally. you know, for the agent coach Hurst, it's definitely those resistance routes are where the money's at. So 
Well, I'm excited to see how it goes for you. Yeah. Uh, man, thanks for taking the time for to sit down. I know everybody's got a busy week out here, yeah. and I saw you were in town and just wanted to catch up. Yeah, so, yeah, thanks. I'm happy to do it. It's long overdue. I think it's probably been three years maybe since yeah. I was last on your podcast. Maybe and, longer. I think you yeah. were one of my earliest episodes. So, oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, well, we should do it more frequently. Yeah, let's but, do that. And I, I want to congratulate you. All you've done in the industry and with your business thanks. and everything is very, very impressive. And uh, it's like... I, I, I joke to people, but it's also true. I think there's more training, knowledge, and expertise in Lander, Wyoming per capita <laughs> yeah. than anywhere else in the world. Yeah. You know, because it seems like, uh, you know, just like if you want to be, if you're a strong young climber, you move to Salt Lake. And if you're an aging, strong yep. coach, you move to Lander. Absolutely. So That's I, the way I, I need to find a piece of land here, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see you out here soon then. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. You're welcome. You know, I'm a pretty self-motivated person when it comes to my climbing, but it's always nice to hear from someone else about their experiences in the terrain that I'll be encountering. And at 48, I'm about a decade or so behind Eric, and he's proof that being smart about my training will mean that I can climb hard for many more years. Eric, I appreciate you stopping by and chatting, and I'm sure I'll see you again soon. We're rooting for you out in the red. In your show notes, you'll find links to find Eric online, his website, podcast, social media, books, so much there. You have to check it out. You'll also find a link to my course, Coaching for Mastery, which you should check out if you're interested in helping climbers improve. Power Company Podcast is brought to you by Power Company Climbing. You can learn, grow, and excel with us at powercompanyclimbing.com, where you'll find links to the Power Company Climbing Academy and the Knowledge and Community Hub. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Power Company Climbing. But as you know, not the Twitters, because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time, 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 This time to build power. This time, 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 time,